Hey listeners, David Avalone here with a public service announcement. Given the choices made recently by the top brass at Spotify, we have no choice but to remove this podcast from that service for now. It's a time-consuming process, but if you listen through Spotify, it's likely this will be the last episode on their platform. The good news is we're available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and directly from the Pendant Audio website. All free, all easy to access, and so much better than drinking your own pee. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Pulp Today. Today I wanted to raise a glass to the late Monica Vitti, one of the great Italian movie stars. How most people feel about Marilyn Monroe, that's how I feel about Monica Vitti. She was, and is, rightly remembered mostly for her incredible work with Michelangelo Antonioni, films like La Clice, La Ventura, um, Deserto Rosso, if we're going to try and pronounce Italian properly. But her connection to Pulp Fiction, which I'm sure some of you see coming, is that she played Modesty Blaze in the first film adaptation of that material. Uh, Modesty was a comic character, a fascinating one, created by a writer named Peter O'Donnell and an illustrator named Jim, I did not know this, Holdaway. I didn't have that name memorized. The comic strip was successful and popular and came about right at the beginning of the James Bond craze. So, of course, it was turned into a movie. Um, <laughs> the director, Joseph Losey, um, had O'Donnell write a script. Uh, it was probably a very good script. But Losey made the mistake almost every James Bond imitator made in the 1960s, uh, and which O'Donnell very much did not make in the comic strip, which was he thought the material was goofy and spoofy, and he made a spoof. He made a spy movie with musical numbers, with his very clunky Hollywood version of uh, avant-garde 1960s new wave type filmmaking. And the thing is an entertaining mess. Aside from the fact that Monica Vitti is fantastic in the part, she doesn't spend much of the movie with uh, Modesty's trademark black hair because, of course, she was famously a gorgeous blonde. The genesis of the book... I'm going to read to you from is kind of fascinating because I think it's an it's it's a it's sort of a one of a kind thing in that there was a comic strip and then there came about the opportunity to make a movie O'Donnell wrote a serious script that reflected the tenor the feeling of the comic strip and then he wrote a novelization that reflected of his own screenplay that reflected the serious dark feel of his screenplay and of his comic strip, not of the movie. The book is so good. I mean, it's a really terrific book. It doesn't feel like a Bond pastiche. It just feels like its own thing. And he went on to write, I believe, 11 of them. And I think that's a that's the first time I think a frustrated screenwriter has taken the blueprint for a good movie that was turned into a bad movie and turned it into 11 terrific novels bunch of short stories there have been other modesty movies i they're tv not worth talking about (laughs) not worth talking about the one that quentin tarantino presents run screaming from it don't don't even try it but the books are fantastic and uh, this is my modesty blaze uh section right here two books are missing from it my wife's hardcover edition which she had before we met, 
And then early in our relationship, she got me a copy, which was, this is the brand new uh, paperback edition from 2005. Uh, I want to read the scene. So modesty is this, well, you'll hear it described, but the opening of the novel is a British intelligence official, it's probably MI6, named Tarrant and his assistant, Mr. Fraser, who have decided that modesty might be a good asset for them because she's this cunning, dangerous woman. But how to get her to do the job? She's rich. She has retired from criminal activity. They can't blackmail her. What can interest her in doing this kind of work for them? And here's the scene. They're in her apartments, uh, drinking. Tarrant says, we have a file on you. Mr. Frazier uh, has it with him. And she says, may I hear them? Talking about the materials in the file. Of course. Tarrant nodded to Frazier, who opened a folder and frowned at the typescript within. Should I do English accents? We'll see how it goes. Well, uh, briefly, Ms. Blaze, he said uneasily, we first have you on record at about the age of 17. We believe you came from a DP camp in the Middle East, and there was no way to check your exact age. I can't help you there, Mr. Frazier, she said gravely. I've never been able to check it myself. I see. Well, to summarize, you were a stateless person, and at this approximate age of 17, we have you working in a small gambling establishment in Tangier. It was controlled by the Lush group, Henry Lush, being a man who headed a small criminal organization. On his death at the hands of rivals one year later, you took control, and there followed a remarkable expansion. Fraser looked up from the dossier owlishly. I am not, he said, at this stage differentiating between items of fact and items of supposition. You understand? That's very wise, Mr. Fraser. She rose, picked up a silver cigarette box, and offered it to Fraser. The cigarettes were perfecto finos. When he declined, she took one herself and set a humidor of cigars at Tarrant's elbow. I wasn't expecting you, she said. I'm afraid there's only a choice of Burma cheroots and petite coronas. I shall enjoy a petite corona, thank you. But what if you had been expecting me, Miss Blaze? You smoke a punch-punch claro, I believe. I do. He rolled the cigar gently between his fingers, watching her as he, she returned to her seat. Willie Garvin has an eye for detail. Your dossier on me must be quite exhaustive. It was, but it wasn't dull. Please go on, Mr. Fraser. The group, said Fraser, turning to a page, under the uh, new management, became known in due course as the network and operated on an international scale. The crimes included art and jewel thefts, smuggling, currency and gold manipulations, and an espionage service. My own information, she said, exhaling a feather of smoke, is that the network at no time traded in secrets belonging to Her Majesty's government. We have wondered about that, Tarrant said reflectively. Can you suggest a reason? It might be that a responsible person wanted to settle here eventually and had no wish to be considered undesirable. Why here? That could be a long story. I don't think it's important. We also note... Fraser said dubiously that the network abstained completely from two profitable fields of crime, drugs, and vice. On two occasions, it gave valuable help to the United States Bureau of Narcotics. She nodded. So I believe. I suppose if one takes a point of view, one must act positively when opportunity offers. In 1962, said Fraser, we have as a fact that you married and divorced a derelict Englishman in Beirut. We believe this was purely financial arrangement for gaining British nationality. Yes, very purely. Again, the sudden smile briefly lit her face. 
Fraser cleared his throat, looked embarrassed, and stared down at the typescript. So, he went on. We now go back to the time two or three years after you started the network, when you were joined by William Garvin. We have his personal dossier as an appendix here. He fluttered some pages. He was in an approved school in England and later served two short prison sentences before disappearing abroad. There, for a number of years, he was in many kinds of trouble in different parts of the world. I will omit what details we have, but we believe you found him in Saigon, soon after he was discharged from the Foreign Legion. From that point on, we uh, move into the field of speculation again. Fraser paused and drank some brandy. Fraser was a brandy man, and Tarrant watched with interest his struggle to suppress a look of astonished pleasure. Bravely, after a frozen moment, Fraser put down the glass and wrinkled his nose noncommittally. It would seem, he said, returning to the dossier, that Garvin was a close associate of yours for six or seven years, Miss Blaze. Until last year, in fact, when the network was split up among its various uh, branch managers in different countries. He closed the folder and looked up archly. We know that you both came to this country eleven months ago, Miss Blaze, and we know that Garvin bought a public house called the Treadmill on the river. We also know that you are both extremely wealthy, which may explain why there has been no hint, he paused and gave a furtive leer, of any legal activities since that time. Very good, said Tarrant. Beautifully articulated, Fraser. you have delightful vowels. He received the expected simper of demurral and glanced across at Modesty Blaze inquiringly. It's interesting, she said slowly, but as you say, mainly speculation. I don't feel you can use it for any drastic move. I've no thought of using it, Tarrant paused, and there was silence. One good thing about this girl was that silence didn't worry her. She allowed time to think without rushing to fill the gaps. Tarrant was thinking now, and he was conscious of disappointment. The girl fascinated him. She was beautiful and stimulating. Her serenity against the strange, dark background of her life was enormously exciting. But so far there was something missing, a quality he had learned to sense in his agents, as he could sense the quality of a fine cigar before smoking it. This was a hard thing to define. More of a potential than a quality, perhaps. The potential for cold ferocity joined to an inflexible will. Good God, she must have had it once. Could she have lost it now? So far as he had caught no hint of it in Modesty Blaze, she was perfectly relaxed, perfectly controlled, and that was right. But he could detect nothing of the vital potential to turn tiger. Was the core of steel rusted in the flame of will, dead? Far from using our suspicions against you in any way, he said amiably, we rather hoped you might be useful to us. She drank from the glass of red wine, not taking her eyes from him. Nobody uses me, Sir Gerald, she answered very quietly. Nobody. I made my mind up about that a long time ago, before the dossier begins. I understand, but I had hoped to persuade you. How? She looked at him curiously. Terence studied the tip of his cigar and glanced casually across at Fraser, who sat with one hand resting on his knee. The fingers and thumb were straight and close together. The hand was palmed down. Fraser's opinion was that this should be played straight. Tarrant agreed. We realize it would be pointless to offer you money, Miss Blaze, he said, but we can offer you Willie Garvin. Willie? The dark eyebrows arched upward. Yes. Have you been in touch with him recently? Not for about six weeks. Then he was in town for a couple of nights and spent them here. We went back to the treadmill together for the weekend to try his new speedboat. 
After that, I spent a month with some friends in Capri and got back a week ago. I haven't been in touch with him again yet. You won't find him at the treadmill. That doesn't surprise me. Willie's dream of running his own little pub has palled rather quickly. He moves around quite a lot, and he has a wonderfully varied list of girlfriends, from premier crew to honest Vin Dupes. Garvin isn't indulging his romantic palate. He's a very long way away on the other side of the world. And he's in prison, Miss Blaze. Not under his own name, I may say. But I suppose it hardly matters what name a man is hanged under. Then it came, and Terence savored it with infinite joy. Modesty Blaze had not changed her expression or posture by a hair's breadth. She still sat with legs drawn up at one end of the couch, a glass of wine in her hand. Nothing had altered. Yet suddenly the whole room seemed charged with the crackling emanation of force from that still figure. To Tarrant it came as the briny scent of a storm when the static potential builds up to breaking point before discharging to earth in a savage explosion of energy. Hanged. Her voice was still mellow, as mellow thought Tarrant as the martial call of Roland's horn. Or shot, he answered with a slight gesture. It's not exactly imminent because the situation in, in the place where Garvin finds himself is still a little confused. I feel there might be just enough time for somebody to do something if they managed it within the next nine days. Modesty Blaze crushed out the half-smoked Perfecto Fino and drew a jar of Sevres porcelain towards her. From it, she took thick black tobacco and a yellow paper. Absently, with practiced ease, she spread tobacco along the paper, rolled and lit it. This is all a little cryptic, Sir Gerald. Yes, intentionally so, of course. You want to use me for... For one operation, he broke in quickly. One special job, my dear, that's all. It's something you uniquely fitted for, and it may prove to be no more than a watching brief. In return, you'll tell me where Willie Garvin is. Her question hung on the air. Tarrant drank and put down his glass. Fraser's hand, still resting on his knee, had turned and it was loosely curled. Opinion put the screw on hard. Tarrant reviewed the advice and rejected it. No, he said, rising. We'll make it a gift, Miss Blaze. And we'll go now, since I'm sure you'll have a lot to arrange in a very short time. Fraser, pass Miss Blaze the copy of the message, please. For an instant, Fraser's eyes widened in genuine surprise. Then he recovered and ducked his head obsequiously, fumbling in his briefcase. She took the buff half-sheet from him and paced slowly across to the huge window, reading it, the cigarette clipped between her fingers. Thank you. She returned to where the two men stood waiting and handed the slip to Fraser, her eyes on Tarrant. I take it this job of yours isn't too immediate, Sir Gerald. I shall be out of the country for the next ten days or so. If I might talk to you when you return, it would be very satisfactory. He shook her hand. Goodbye, and I hope your trip goes well. Thank you again. She walked with them to the raised foyer in the lift. The door slid back as she pressed two buttons on the control panel. You're a clever man, Sir Gerald. She looked at him with frank interest. How did you know? I'm sorry, know what? That I hate blackmail but that I'm a compulsive payer of debts. I'm sure that isn't in my dossier. No. Tarrant picked up his hat and umbrella. 
but I've met your Willie Garvin. He wouldn't have discussed me. Indeed not, but he's not an enigma. I found him easy to read. And I felt he must reflect you. After all, you created him. Fraser seized the opening. Like master, like man, he said portentously and with hidden delight. When the two men had gone, she stood by the window, looking out across the dark park while she finished her cigarette. Once she half-smiled and shook her head. Should have seen, should have seen it coming. Hard to blame you, Willie. My God, I know just how you felt. She stubbed out the cigarette and went to the telephone. For the next hour, she was busy making several calls, one to a startled man 8,000 miles away. When this was done, she went through it into her bedroom of pale green, ivory, and silver gray. The wall was paneled, and the panel to the right of the big double bed was of painted steel. It opened by the setting of the dressing table drawers in a particular order and position, and it moved on soundless bearings. Beyond lay a tall cubbyhole, six foot square, originally intended as a walk-in wardrobe. For a moment, she stood looking at the three heavy trunks which stood on the floor and at the variety of smaller boxes on the side shelves. There was a glint of amused resignation in her eyes. I wonder why we kept all our gear, Willie love, she said aloud. Bending, she began to open one of the trunks. <laughs> that's a, I mean, I think that's a terrific terrific introduction to a heroine. We meet her when uh, Fraser and Tarrant do. Um, what I jumped past was just a little bit about her. The, describing her, describing the surroundings they were in, I wanted to get them to the meat of the scene, the reading of the dossier. But uh, terrific stuff. All of the books are great. I recommend them highly. And here's to you, Monica Vitti. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.